This is Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, an Ella's Leash production. Shine On is a weekly presentation with guests, ideas, information, and fun designed to improve your life from 100.7 WHUD. Words, words, words. Today's two guests love words and stories. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. John Peelmeyer and Irene O'Garden met over 40 years ago exploring their love of words in a theater group. Now long married and living happily in the Hudson Valley, both husband and wife gave birth to books this year. Hook's Tale is John's swashbuckling story, and Irene has a beautiful and soulful collection of poetry that we're going to build a shine-on evening all around in the future. But first, let's go on an explore with a playwright and screenwriter whose work you've no doubt seen, and surely of whom you'll hear more, as his latest play is opening in London's West End. John Peelmeyer making room on his resume for novelist. Up until now, I've mostly I've written for theater and television and film. I've written plays. My best-known play is Agnes of God. I actually have a new play, a stage adaptation of The Exorcist that's about to open in London and hopefully will be coming to New York in about a year or so. Uh, in terms of television and film, I've, I've written a lot of television, movies for television and miniseries. I don't write for series, but I have written movies, you know, what used to be called Movies of the Week, and uh, a number of miniseries. Probably uh, my latest miniseries was a couple of years ago an adaptation of Ken Follett's The Pillars of the Earth. Oh, wow. That was very successful. And that is available on Netflix or, you know, those kind of places. It was named the fifth best miniseries of all time, John Peelmeyer. It is. (laughs) (laughs) According to some people who who were connected with the BBC, it was named, I think, the fifth best miniseries of all time. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But that's great. It's it's so thrilling. It's really good. I'm very proud of it. And I also act in it, which I'm I'm happy about. I had a great time doing it. What role do you play? I play one of the monks. Brother Cuthbert. All right. Now, I'm going to ask, was this your idea to prepare a stage adaptation of The Exorcist? Uh, No, not really. What happened was, a number of years ago, a number of years ago, my television agent called me and said, there are some producers in uh, Los Angeles who have the rights to the stage adaptation of The Exorcist, and they're looking for a writer. Are you interested? I said, sure, I'll talk to them. So I talked to them, and I went and reread the book and just fell in love with it and the story. I got very passionate about about it, and I pitched them my take on this piece, and they said, great, we'll set up a meeting with Bill Blatty, William Peter Blatty, the author mm. of the book and the screenplay. And I said, terrific. And two days before this meeting, Uh, I got a call from one of the producers, and he said, the meeting's off, we couldn't get the rights. And I said, well, I thought you had the rights. And they said, well, we almost had them. And in the meantime, I got a call from uh, Mr. Blatty, who said to me, come on down anyway. He lived in Bethesda, Maryland. So I I took the train down and had a wonderful meeting with uh, with uh, Bill Blatty, and uh, in which I pitched, pitched him my idea, and he gave me the stage rights. So that's sort of how that came about. It was just a wonderful piece of serendipity. I was, I was very, very... Very fortunate to, to wow. be able to do that. So when is it opening on the West End? It opens uh, at the end of October. Theoretically, the moment, uh, the, the, the opening, the gala performance is Halloween. Uh, uh, but, you know, we never know in terms of, uh, 
because they have to load in things to the theater, and there's a lot of tech stuff that has to be done. So hopefully we'll be ready by then. Wow, 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 wow. All right, anything, you know, spooky come about while you We hope so. This? Oh, to me, no, because I was very scared about that. When I took on the project, I thought, oh, I hope this isn't, you know, a isn't going to bite me back, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in whatever way. But actually, the more I got into the project, I realized, and really the heart of this book is that it's a fair, it's a book with a very spiritual nature. Mm-hmm. It's a very positive book, and it's about really the defeat of evil, essentially. Right. It's about overcoming that, and uh, through through faith and belief and sacrifice. And, and it, it, it has a very, very positive statement to make about all of that. So I've felt very, actually very protected through this all that. And, and Bill Blatty, who passed away last January, has, had been, has been so incredibly supportive of me and this project. And uh, it could not have happened without, right. without his generosity. Right. And blessing. And blessings, yeah. So one might think, after uh, reading Agnes of God, that John Peelmeyer has a sense of spirituality. Well, I'd like to... Maybe it's just because I'm still struggling with that, or I'm still looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I keep writing about it. I'm, I'm still on the search. Uh, mm. And that's what keeps, you know, keeps me writing about it. I don't I don't believe I'm proselytizing ever. I'm just sort of saying, hmm, this is interesting. Uh, what's going on here? Right. And that in, in that leads everyone enjoying your work to think for themselves. I hope so, yes. I mean, the point of Agnes of God, really, is, that, is to ask questions. It's all about asking questions, not about getting answers. Right, right, right. All right, so now we go on another adventure. <laughs> Unbelievable. To Hook's Tale. Tell us yes. how this came to be. Well, Hook's Tale is the memoir written by Captain James Hook, who puts the, 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 the story straight. He basically says that J.M. Barry got it all wrong and that the real hero of the piece is himself. <laughs> Take it as you may. Um, how this came about was a really uh, extraordinary experience. My wife and I a number of years ago, went on a cruise of the South Seas. It was something we saved up for a year to do. I had always wanted to go to Easter Island, which was one of the stops on the cruise. And the cruise began in Chile and ended in Tahiti. And uh, it was a fantastic cruise. But the first stop on it was an island that I didn't really know anything about. It was an island uh, off the coast of Chile called Rob, now called Robinson Crusoe Island, and it's the island on which Alexander Selkirk was marooned. Now, Al- Alexander Selkirk was a British privateer, a pirate, essentially, mm. working in the South Seas. And in 1704, he was on a ship that uh, uh, essentially kind of started to spring leaks, and he went to the captain and said, this ship's in really bad shape. We need to pull into a port somewhere and fix it. And the captain said, no, I don't have time for that. If you're not happy, get off. So he was kind of a voluntary maroon, maroonie, mm. <laughs> uh, on an uninhabited island 
they left him off. The ship went off to sail and sink. It did indeed sink, and everybody was either either drowned or was captured by the Spanish fleet, which England and Spain were at war then, and they spent like 10 years in prison. But Alexander Selkirk was marooned on this island for four years, living alone, wearing animal skins, doing his own hunting and so forth, and eventually he was rescued, brought back to London, and became really the first celebrity survivor. He was in all the papers and broadsheets, and he was very famous for 15 minutes. And one of the people who noticed him and his story was Daniel Defoe. And Defoe said, oh, this could be an interesting book. So he wrote Robinson Crusoe, based on, loosely based on Selkirk's Kirk, Kirk's experience. So this island is now called Robinson Crusoe Island. But it's now just, a, it's a, it has one small, lovely little rustic town on it, and the rest of it is just beautiful mountains and hills and hiking paths. So Irene and I took a hike on this gorgeous day from our ship up to the ridge uh, that, that divided the mountainous ridge that divided the island where Selkirk would climb every day to light a bonfire, mm-hmm. fire hoping to be rescued. And halfway up, we stopped to catch our breath, and I looked out and I saw the lagoon that our ship, our cruise ship was anchored in, and suddenly it occurred to me that Selkirk influenced Defoe, who influenced Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote Treasure Island, who influenced J.M. Barry, And all of the maps of this thing must have these various books were descended, I assumed, from Selkirk's original description of this island that I was walking. So suddenly I thought, my gosh, I'm walking in Neverland. And out there where the cruise ship was, I suddenly saw Captain Hook's ship anchored. And when we climbed to the top of the ridge and looked over the other side, there was Mermaid's Lagoon. And up to the north was a promontory where Tiger Lily's village was. It was just extraordinary. And so I started asking myself questions. Well, wait a minute, if this this actual island is part of an archipelago, was Neverland part of an archipelago? Where was Hook sailing when he wasn't anchored in the bay? Who was he pirating if he was a pirate? What? Why didn't he fly? What, all of these questions, how did he get here? These questions just poured into my head. And I, I, as soon as I got home from the cruise, I sat down and started writing this book. Wow. Wow. It was tremendously exciting. You were on magical ground. I was totally, it was totally magical. Magical ground. And and you just stepped on that little landmine that just exploded into all these pictures. That's a great, that's a perfect description of it. It was like stepping in a landmine that exploded inside me. Right. But then you're home from the cruise and you're writing a book and you're saying, wait, I'm John Peelmeyer. I don't write books. Well, yeah, I never really thought that I could write novels, prose, whatever. You know, I'm fine in dialogue and and uh, descriptive action, but, but that's how I would always tell stories. And a few years ago, I started experimenting in this other field. And so suddenly I felt very comfortable writing in this way. It was so freeing mm. because no one was looking over my shoulder. When I write for television or for theater even, it's very much of a collaborative process, which is terrific about it. But I'm always working with other people at some point. And now in writing a book, I was all by myself. And, and that was kind of fun, too. Wow. You were like Selkirk. Selkirk. Yeah, I was. Marooned I- on an island writing by yourself.
Yes, it was. It was exactly. It was terrific. All right. Now, is this part of a mini series? Do we find a trilogy well, coming? I don't know. It has. Uh, I, I would hope that somebody reads this book and says, "Oh, this would make a great mini series." I, I think it would. We'll see. I want to know what it feels like in the pit of John Pilmeyer's stomach the night before the book goes out. For oh my gosh, it's so nerve wracking, and. So, but I, it was also a world, the publishing world is a world that I'm not familiar with. So I'm sort of learning about it as I go along. And it's, it's people like you who help me and help, help people become aware of this book. Uh, I also did the audio version of the book, which is... Which you was recorded your own book. Yes, I narrated my own book. Love that. That was fun. That is great. Well, you know, I think you're in good company. I think these characters, they're part of the magic, and their stories just need to be told. And you're telling it in Hook's Tale. And what are your friends saying? I'm sure you're hearing back. Oh, it's been so beautifully received by friends and by uh, the reviewers that uh, have reviewed it so far. It's just been incredibly... Um, supportive and generous about it, and um, and although it's not a book written specifically for young adults, it certainly is suitable for the YA audience. I think I'd say from twelve and up, mm-hmm. uh, people, uh, kids can certainly read it. The the language is uh, a little is it's written sort of in an Edwardian style. It's a first person narrative, and so uh, they might find it a little daunting at first, but once they get into the story, it's it's all swashbuckling adventure. I like, I wanted to write a book that was my own my own equivalent for me of, of, of Treasure Island, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite books. Hook's Tale by John Peelmeyer. Go pick that up or get the audio book ASAP. Now, did you have any help from your lovely wife while you were writing this book? Well, Irene is, uh, you know, was always so incredibly supportive of my writing. I didn't show her I never show her anything until I have a first draft done. And then she was, uh, she read this thing and she said, yes, <laughs> go for it. Uh, you but know, you she, don't show her until the first draft, not even when you're both Oh, gosh, like, I don't show anybody. Bed? No, I don't. And I think, and that's true of her, too. She doesn't show me any of, any of her writing, any of her poetry until she feels it is in a draft-ready piece. And then we give each other notes and then I take her notes and go away and, and address them. If I agree with them. And if I don't agree with them, I, I don't address them. <laughs> but usually she's right. And now, do you like map out like a certain time of day we're going to talk about writing now, or is it just over the dinner table or oh, breakfast it's, table? Oh, it's uh, over. Well, you know, when, when I'm ready to give her something, I'll just say, I have something for you to read. And, uh, uh, and she'll say the same to me. Obviously, her pieces are much shorter than my pieces. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes, certainly with Hook's Tale, she had to have a couple of days to read it. So, as I recall, I may have gone away for a few days and disappeared so she could read read it all by herself and I wouldn't be around looking over her shoulder. Now, I think when I read her book of poetry, there was a poem or two about you. Yes. What does that feel like? It's uh, it's fine. It's wonderful. I mean, we have a we have been happily together for forty years this year, and anything she wants to share about me is totally fine. Ah, oh, wonderful. All right. Well, it's a wonderful love story. You two are just full of stories. And Thank you. We, we wish you all the best with Hook's Tale. And now it's her turn. Thank you. Let all me right. get her. You will. Well, good morning, Casey. It's wonderful to talk to you. So I have to tell you this. I think it was early summer, like really early summer. I was in uh, Cold Spring in the hair salon. 
and on Romeo and Juliet Hair Salon. And I'm looking out on Main Street, and this woman is walking down the street. And she is tall, and she has wonderful posture, and she is wearing a fantastic hat with, I believe, a red bow on it. And I said, my God, I wonder what it feels like to look like that. And then I said, that's Irene O'Garden. You looked like poetry in motion. Oh, thank you. And I imagine you were probably heading to the catch the train with that big red hat of yours. Is it a red bow? Did I remember it correctly? You know, I have a winter hat that is black that has a red bow, but then I also have uh, a, a, a sort of pink, shocking, or a raspberry-colored straw hat that you might have seen if it were summer. That might have been it. That might have been it. You are quite the gorgeous creature. Thank you, Casey. And you make beautiful creations. Tell people what your work is for you. What's it all about? Well, you know, the basis of my my work altogether is is really words and anything that I can do to amplify the meaning of words, to help us use words more wisely or hear words more deeply. That's the kind of thing that interests me. So, so certainly at heart I'm a poet. But also that will find its way into calligraphy. Um, it's one of the reasons I became an actress and began to perform words, because that helps us hear them with more, with more resonance. I, I find that, you know, visually making words sing is, is something that is extremely gratifying to me. And I, I think it's more and more important in this world where people take words really for granted mm. and meanings get uh, obscured. And so any, any way that we can share words in a meaningful yeah. um, situation is something that excites me. Yeah, wonderful. You know, being on the radio, often it's very frustrating to me because it's so quick. Yeah. And I'll use a word that it says, that's not the word I wanted. But I have to I have to use what's available to my memory when, you know, it's five o'clock in the morning or whatever and we're on live radio. But I know what you mean about just, you know, reaching deep and finding the word for what you really mean. It is that's art, you know. And it's also fun. It's like a treasure hunt. (laughs) It's fun like a treasure hunt. So of all the words in all the universe, why is your latest book of poetry called Fulcrum? Because uh, a, a fulcrum is the place where uh, it's a place of balance. It's it's where you put the lever to to get work done, and it it also can be used uh, as a term for the the central focus of something, the central pivot point. And I felt very much that each of the, the, the book is divided into a section about marriage, a section about nature, a section about the spirit. And each of those is pivot points for me. And I thought this is a really kind of clarifying uh, idea to, to use to pull the collection together. Marriage, nature, spirit, Irene O'Garden's fulcrum. Let me ask you this. Are all of these poems new poems, or have some been with you for a while, and this is their first time seeing the light oh, of the page? Um, it, uh, there are several uh, poems in the book that have been previously published in literary journals. Nothing. This is my first volume of poetry, but uh, uh, so nothing has appeared in any other books. 
But uh, there are also included in this collection some longer narrative poems uh, about, uh, one of them was about an encounter that I had with a wild bull in the middle of a, of a, of a very dense kind of jungly place in, uh, in, in an island off the coast of Savannah. Mm-hmm. And that poem, to tell that story, took longer than most uh, literary journals will. But it's a rather exciting story, and one I'm happy to share, uh, that ends up in the spirit part of the book. So, um, oh, and it is. And as I'm reading it, I'm saying, did this really happen? Did this really happen? Oh, I, I, I believe, I, I can't categorically say it, but I think I can say it, that everything in the, uh, in the book actually took place. Because that's where I find my inspiration is, you know, whatever, whatever life offers me, uh, I think that is the thing. Wow. That is the wellspring that, 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 you know, there's always a knocking on the door. This poem must be written. Wow. All right. So everything in your book of poetry has a basis in reality. Yes. Wowza, yowza. That's, I got to go back and read it again now. (laughs) That's really uh, fabulous. So marriage, nature, spirit. My Mm -hmm. gosh, you and your husband are an adorable couple. (laughs) Oh, bless your heart. We've had a lot of fun together. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember the first date? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, our our relationship was based on friendship mm-hmm. uh, to start. So so the dating aspect was not... We worked together as actor and actress. We were in the same theater company. Um, so we already sort of established that basis. And then, and then you know, things just developed. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just a continuation of the conversation, only involving a few more parts of ourselves, shall we say. So did you guys just decide, you know, I'm going to write a book. Yeah, I'm going to write a book, too. I mean, how did, that, how did we get a, two books out of one household in such a short period of time? It is a, it is a, a remarkable thing. I had, was working uh, last year on putting this collection together, and John had written this novel. So they just sort of were happened at the same time, not not by intention, saying, well, we've both got to do this. It's just that, oh, his agent found his publisher. I was able to find my publisher. And, and my book came out a little bit earlier in the year than his did, but it was like, oh, well, isn't that fun? <laughs> and the cover of my, uh, of my collection is a, the shadow of a pointing finger, uh, which is a photograph that I took up uh, on a trail here in Garrison of my own finger uh, below a rock. And, of course, the cover of John's is a hook. So it's kind of wonderful that we have these, these hand-operated covers, shall we say. That's amazing. I don't know. I, I think you've got spirits around who are directing things behind the scenes. <laughs> We like to think so. Would you like to share a poem with us now? Oh, boy. Um, uh, yes, that would be a lovely idea if I only had my book right at my fingertips. Huh. Just a minute. Let okay. Me John is going to uh, run into the other room. I'm actually in his office, which is, un, uh, which is not a customary <gasps> spot for me to be. But. Really? It's like no girls allowed? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's just, this is... I, I oh, it's don't his office, right, right. My right. conversation's in his office. Right, but, I hear you. Thank you, dear. So, let's see. Um, let us look here in this marriage place. Mm. Because that's something we all can, can relate to. Here's one. It's called, 
to my husband away on business. I sit in my red chair under the green lamp in the yellow room, surrounded by our mingled lives. Together, we arranged the boxed and bottled things, at least a hundred dishes, nearly 20 feet of music. Our books intershuffled like aces and hearts. Your gloves and mine nestle in each other's palms. You hear the squeaky drawer, the shower sound, responding birds, our dog's impatient voice. You, too, saw the sky through the rafters last fall when the house was re-roofed. Each June, we are together drenched in honeysuckle. This red chair shares your warmth, and now your hands and voice heartbeat the yellow room. Beloved, how good of you to come to prove by this green light no time nor space, just love assuming shapes. Wow, I think you really like this guy. <laughs> you can tell, huh? <laughs> it's so beautiful. Thank you for letting us literally into your home. Literally, funny. Oh, well. uh, but into your home to see the picture of your lives. That's so beautiful. And I think as I listen to you read it, I'm, I'm imagining my house and my husband. And I bet you've done that for so many other people. You know, it's, it's a shared experience when they're not there to feel them there. Wow. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Casey. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else our listeners need to know about either of you this morning? Uh, just how happy we are here in the Hudson Valley and how much we appreciate the community around us. Um, and, and you're a gr- great uh, gatherer and spearheader of that mm-hmm. community, Casey. And, well, and we're you. very grateful. Elizabeth Gilbert of Eat, Pray, Love referred to Irene Garden as a walking, writing beam of light. That's it perfectly. And we have much more to explore with Irene, her calligraphy and poetry trails. We're planning a special evening all about that. Stay tuned. Meanwhile, pick up John Peelmeyer's Hook's Tale and Irene O'Garden's book of poetry called Fulcrum. And our thought for the day comes from Peter Pan, who said, think of the happiest things. It's the same as having wings. See you next week. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey, an Ella's Leash production. The content of Shine On, the health and happiness show is intended for general information purposes only. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Join Casey for another edition of Shine On, the health and happiness show next Sunday morning, right here on 100.7 WHUD.